Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Later in the show, we'll hear from the Chief Executive of Millwall, Steve Kavanagh. And I, you may not be able to understand Kieran today because he's so excited because he went to see orchestral manoeuvres in the dark last night, didn't you? Yeah, and it was at the Royal Albert Hall and it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, there was nobody there below sixty, so <laughs> it, it was it was for, you know, for OMD fans. It was uh, it, it was it was great, and and they were on top form. Uh, and I'm going to see the undertones uh, tomorrow night. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm in uh, I'm, I'm in old get heaven. Yeah, if Fergal Sharkey uh, lives in uh, around here, he works. Does he? Person. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he can be described as laugh a minute. No, no. <laughs> he, certainly, he certainly doesn't give the demeanour of a man that you would go up to and say, oh, I used to love the undertones. Um, anyway, Kieran, it's Newsday. Um, there's some big news stories, uh, especially about Chelsea coming up. Let's start for once with a, a good news story. And the FA is going to increase the prize money for the Women's FA Cup tenfold. Yes, yeah, this is this is really good money, and, and it's also new money. So it's not as if the FA is nicking money from the men's game at the lower stages or, or, or taking it from the WSL. So the total prize money is is, is going up to three million pounds, uh, and it was it was just over four hundred so, uh, beforehand. So it's it's a significant increase. Uh, last year, the, the 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 winners of the of the women's FA Cup only made twenty five thousand pounds compared to yeah the. Thing end of two million for the men's game so it was pretty uh pretty unjustifiable um and and what we're also hearing and and this is good news uh you know given that we've spoken to people that's at the grassroots level is that a lot of that money is going to be allocated to the early rounds to to make it uh, a greater reward for for progressing at that particular stage of the women's game uh you know i'm i'm not saying that i that there shouldn't be more money going at the at the top end, but yeah, you know, if it, if it's if it's the usual suspects of you know the Manchester teams, Chelsea, Arsenal, and so on making the final, they're not the ones who are who having to try to crowdfund to get to uh, to get to individual matches. Although Chelsea's women's team, you know, we don't know what's happening yeah. with regards there. Um, but yeah, under normal circumstances, they are actually they are you know funded um but it, it is at the grassroots level so so yeah uh, you know hats off to the FA um they they have listened um yeah there, there has been pressure coming from a variety of sources and to be fair to them they've listened so yeah it's it's nice to start the show on on a on a good news story it's been a long time since we've been able to do that yeah because we we spoke about the Clapton community women's team making less money from the third round than it cost them to get to Plymouth to play mm. the third round game. And from that end of the scale to the ludicrous end of the scale, uh, and one of the many Chelsea stories floating about this week, and we'll be getting on to Middlesbrough, don't worry about that, friends. Um, a Saudi media group has apparently made a £2.7 billion offer to buy Chelsea. And quite apart from the fact, I don't think the government would be over the moon about another Saudi group buying into a Premier League team. Is this a genuine offer, Kieran? Is there any more news? Well, it seems to have come from uh, from a journalist who who seems quite confident, you know, and, and th- th- there's there's a lot of leaking taking place to uh, two sources, um, to, to for, you know people who are sort of jockeying for position at present. I think the interesting thing is is that uh, 
there won't be much pushback on the Chelsea side of things because this is this is pretty close. In fact, a lot closer than, than you know, fundamentals would would argue. Uh, it's, it's very close to the, the asking price that the club was originally being touted around for. So I think this this group group um, is independent of PIF from a legal standpoint. <laughs> um, and, and given that we have more than one uh, American owner, and you know historically we've had uh, more than one owner of Premier League football clubs from the Far East. Um, the, the 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 authorities here or the, the parties here would say well, that, that Newcastle and Chelsea would therefore be independent of one another. Um, there's another offer that is apparently coming in from the American billionaire Todd Bowley. Uh, he is part of a consortium uh, based on on what we are seeing at present, and this this does change. Yeah, it doesn't change by the hour; it changes by the, changes by the minute. Um, but the uh, the, the UK-based uh, potential party involved, uh, uh, Nick Candy, uh, he is uh, he's not involved in that particular consortium, but you don't know who's going to pop up and where. So it, I think they are still hoping to get bids in by the end of this week, uh, so, so yeah, the eighteenth, nineteenth of of March, um, with a view to sort of narrowing down the the field. Um, and then it could go to sealed bids. Uh, you know, that's that's one way of, of trying to max out the price. Uh, but there's still plenty of unknowns. And, and one of those unknowns is what's going to happen in terms of the relationship between Roman Abramovich and the government. Yeah. Because at present, you, you can bid for the club, but nobody can sell it because Roman Abramovich's assets are frozen. If some form of agreement can be made between him and the government uh, in terms of what happens to the proceeds, then that would allow a sale to go ahead, which is in, in my view, in the interests of all concerned. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm not pro or anti Chelsea as as a club. Uh, you've got to separate the club from the owner, but I am pro Chelsea as an employer of 800 people. Yeah. Um, and. and uh, uh, you know that that that's an important factor that that needs to be remembered. Uh, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of people saying, "Well, yeah, we, we, we'd be quite happy for Chelsea to to, you know, to go under on the back of this." And I think you need to see the bigger picture. Uh, yeah, the, the behaviour of some Chelsea fans has has not exactly helped their cause in in recent weeks. But uh, you know, it it is a it, it is a club which is the current Champions League holders, and for them to to disappear would would be an embarrassment for the Premier League. I think it'd be an embarrassment yeah. for the country as well. Um, and we take it from there. Uh, firstly, Kieran, at our age, there's a lot of leaking going on. <laughs> All right, I think we should get that out of the way. Uh, and yeah, the, the talk, of course, is that the Saudi media group is totally independent from the Saudi government. But my guess is that if the Saudi government's team were playing the Saudi media group's team in a cup final, I, I would I would suggest people might be lent on Kieran in that situation. But when it comes to selling the club, are the government? Uh, I don't know what laws apply in this situation. I don't think anybody does because it's so unprecedented. Can't be so unprecedented. It's either unprecedented or not unprecedented. But is it the government's job legally to, to, to take the highest bidder? Does the government care how much is paid for a club when the money's not going to the person who, who used to own it anyway? Um. Uh, the the government, in theory, should should not 
be getting involved, I would imagine, other than as uh, as a guarantor to, to ensure that the money doesn't go to Roman Abramovich. Um, given that the government does have, uh, you know, and has also you know, heralded that the trade links that the country has with uh, with Saudi Arabia, yeah. um, I, I think they would be reluctant to uh, uh, get involved and make it awkward for another Saudi group to take over uh, Chelsea. Uh, it would it would not go down well in in terms of existing relationships and trade deals, and, and that that's something the the government says is is taking a you know, a, a pragmatic view of things. Uh, and as you alluded to, Kieran, there are many football fans who are only too happy at Chelsea's current plight. Um, they would have been delighted by Chelsea's request that their FA Cup quarter-final at Middlesbrough is played behind closed doors for matters of sporting integrity, which the Middlesbrough chairman, that's a sentence that he'd, he had great fun playing with. But also, this would have cost Middlesbrough an enormous amount of money, wouldn't it? Just losing the the income alone from from the game, plus also the you know, all the scarves and pies and beer they would have sold. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's costing Middlesbrough money anyway. Chelsea had already sold six hundred tickets for the match um, to take place at the Riverside before the the ban took place. I think Chelsea's uh, full allocation was four and a half thousand. Yeah, and and uh, you know, to be fair to Chelsea, they they would have sold it out. You know, they they, oh, they do travel in numbers, as we know. Yeah, yeah. So so Middlesbrough are going to be financially disadvantaged uh, on, on the back of this to, to a to a to a greater extent than Chelsea because Chelsea, you know, they don't get any money uh, sort of directly. Um, you know, the money goes to the home club, and then then yes, it is it is ultimately split between the two clubs. But but you know, it's it's on a proportionate basis, it impacts Middlesbrough more than it does Chelsea. Um, so what's going to happen to those uh, tickets? We're not sure. The Chelsea have been sort of saying, well, could the tickets be given? Or could they be gifted to Chelsea fans to allow them to attend? And therefore, there would be no money received uh, by the club. And therefore, it wouldn't be in breach of the, the rules and they'd still get their support. But uh, the, 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 the original press release from Chelsea was classic inability to to understand bigger picture yeah um you know will, will, will some fans be inconvenienced that of because they cut they, they can't go to Middlesbrough and instead they get to watch the match in their lounge or in their local pub on a big television with their mates whilst people are dying in Ukraine yeah uh, you know one's an inconvenience one is a matter of life or death and we and yeah we don't I don't want to be melodramatic about this um so uh yeah Bruce Buck, who who came in for some uh, pretty stinging criticism from uh, from Steve Gibson, the, the, the Middlesbrough owner. St- uh, Bruce, Bruce Buck has been completely anonymous since all of this started, um, and and I think uh, it, it can now perhaps be said that uh, you know I think we hinted it at the time when Roman Abramovich said that the uh, the club a couple of weeks ago was going to be transferred for you know is it caring stewardship and, and yeah. care into the the Chelsea Foundation Bruce Buck who is the chairman of Chelsea also happens to be on the uh, on the Chelsea Foundation so uh, you know he he has been uh, Roman Abramovich's man on the ground he's he's been his lawyer as well uh, and uh, I think I think his silence and and uh, reluctance to to appear in front of the press and and, and dump it all on on Thomas Tuchel is is in is an indicative of him as a human being and as a man. Yeah, I should think Roman Abramovich is highly delighted that his lawyers keep him stum. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, and still, 
with this dreadful conflict, the Court for Arbitration for Sports uh, has rejected Russia's appeal of its UEFA ban. Well, yes. Uh, if, if you go to the Court for Arbitration for Sport website, which, of course, nerds do, um, and I'm a nerd, um, then what it says is that du- it's for the duration of the proceedings. So Russia has put in an appeal, and the initial uh, appeal by Russia has said, look, we've done nothing wrong, which is clearly <laughs> nonsense. <Yeah. laughs> um, they, they are still incomplete. Yeah, they're, they're just lying, what, lying through their teeth. Us? Ukraine? What? Where? what? Yeah. Never heard of it. Um, um, and, and what Russia said was that, we, we're, we're putting together an appeal, um, and that's going to take time. So whilst we are putting together our appeal for the duration of the proceedings of the case to be held, to be heard by CAS, we should therefore be allowed to compete on both an international basis and, and uh, a European basis. Um, and CAS have turned around and says, no, no, we're, we're not having any of that. And they, they've said that Poland will have a buy yeah. as far as the, the qualifiers for, for the World Cup is concerned. So um, fair play to CAS. You know, uh, so, some of the stuff that has been coming out from Russia, the, the 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 indignation when people have been squatting in some of the houses of the oligarchs, or <laughs> or the Irish lad who uh, who backed his uh, who backed his lorry through the gates yeah. of the Russian embassy of uh, yeah in, in Dublin, and and has actually earned himself uh, you know, a free pint uh, from many people for the rest of his life uh, in Dublin, of course, in doing so. Yeah. Um, domestic news, Kieran. Stoke City have sold the Bet Three Six Five Stadium. Who have they sold it to? They've sold it to. Bet three six five. Have they? Um, yes, they have indeed. And and the great news is, is a large amount of profit has been made. So, um, as we know, Kieran, nothing can ever go wrong when you sell a stadium to yourself. <laughs> yes. So, um, Bet Bet three six five own a company called Stoke City Holdings, which in turn owns Stoke City Football Club. And what has happened? Is that um, Bet Three Six Five has bought the uh, has bought the Bet Three Six Five Stadium um, from Stoke City Holdings for around seventy million pounds? And you know, given that uh, the the EFL has accepted uh, Pride Park is 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 worth eighty million and, and yeah. Hillsborough sixty million, that, that would appear to be you know a decent ballpark figure. So you know, nobody's questioning that. Um, there. We, yeah, we, we've seen in in respect of Derby and Aston Villa and Reading and Birmingham um, and Sheffield Wednesday, um, all of those clubs have sold uh, their stadium to themselves. And by a pure coincidence, um, Sheffield Wednesday for the points deduction, Reading is at a points deduction, Birmingham is at a points deduction, and Derby County is at a points deduction. Um, after that taste, so it, it, it does appear to be a bit of a poison chalice yeah. uh, for clubs that go down that particular route. Um, why did it take place in May? It could be due, and as you know, I'm not a cynic, and it could be due that it, this is just a poor, pure coincidence that there were plans for changes to the rules of the EFL constitution. And from the 1st of July, if you sold a stadium to another part of the group, none of those profits counted towards your FFP calculation. So, yep, yeah, what, what a what a 
bit of good luck that Stoke City had was that you know, uh, you know five or six weeks before uh, the the profits uh, would would have been excluded, uh, they, they managed they managed to push through that sale. They managed to persuade Bet Three Six Five to buy the stadium for seventy million pounds. How much profit have they made? Um, somewhere in the region of thirty to forty to million pounds profit, which will count towards their FFP calculation. So you know, travels all round. Thank God you're not a cynic, Kieran. As you say, this would exactly be, this yeah, pod yeah. would be so much more difficult if you were a cynic. Um, you, you've answered my question there because obviously I was going to ask you why they've done this now because they are one of the wealthier owners in the in in the EFL, if not in the Premier League as well. So they're not short of money, are they? No, no, and and what Stoke have argued um, on on many occasions that you know we we don't need financial fair play. We, yeah, we we are richer than God. Yeah. Uh, if if you take a look at um, yeah, they are they are paying ninety seven million pounds uh, in dividends to the directors. I think they're paying something like four hundred million pounds in in wages to the directors. Uh, yeah, so so Bet three six five is is a very successful organisation. It employs thousands of people. Uh, you know, I'm you you and I. We we both place a bet now and then. We're not opposed to betting. Yeah. We are opposed to the um, the business practices of some of a part of the industry. But again, you, you need to be able to separate items. Um, and uh, they've they've always said, yeah, we'll we'll put as much money into the club as possible. The trouble is, when they were relegated, um, they had lots of players on big contracts who they've not been able to get rid of. Um, they've also invested spectacularly in the transfer market, and they've invested spectacularly in those players who can't hack the Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday mm-hmm. lifestyle, um, and have turned out to be turkeys. When you have a spare moment, Kieran, in your very busy schedule, could you sort out a spreadsheet to work out exactly how much God is worth? <laughs> yes. Because it's either, it's either nothing or an awful lot, basically, because technically God should have given everything away. But, it's true, it's true. Uh, um, a, a lot of Wolves fans have been asking us when this would happen, Kieran, but they seem to have had some good news. Now, they're out of UEFA's... FFP settlement regime, and it seems to that they were in it for a long time, as Wolves fans were pointing out. So, what does this mean on practical financial terms for Wolves? Well, I think the good news from from Wolves' perspective is that um, they they did have a, uh, a limit, uh, I think, in terms of squad size uh, from from a, a UEFA participation point of view. So, so this was an announcement that was made by uh, UEFA recently, and it also affected C- CSKA. CSK, yeah, uh, FC Sporting, Porto, um, and, and one or two other clubs who had been on on the naughty step, and, and those other clubs were uh, in in danger of being excluded from European competition. Whereas Wolves were just told, "Can you cut back on your spending a bit?" So, so Wolves have complied. So, I think you know, I know some Wolves fans. They're saying, "Well, why why we've not been going into the transfer market to the extent that we would have liked." Um, it, it has been to, to sort of broadly try to get the club into a position whereby it's if it uh, if it now qualifies to play in Europe, uh, it, it can do so relatively unhindered. And, and of course, you know, Wolves have had a fantastic season in terms of results, um, and uh, are you know there or thereabouts for a, a Europa League or or a Europa Conference place next season. So uh, they they appear to have. Uh, uh, you know, done done the right thing as far as the as far as the beaks are concerned, and uh, and could go forward. 
You know, Kieran, one of the bleakest days of my football supporting life was when Palace lost at home to Maidstone United in front of about 4,000 people a long time ago. So this is technically good news, but I'm bitter and resentful. (laughs) As Martin Mars says, I can forgive, but I can't forget uh, or forgive. Um, Maidstone United made a profit of £41,000 in 2021, or 20 stroke 21, I beg your pardon, um, which is good going in the current climate, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, we, we have uh, we've not spoken about non non league and national league clubs too much recently, no, which is um, good. Which is yeah, yeah. It, 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 not not hearing about us from us is it, it tends to be good news. Um, and uh, you know, I think Maidstone are, are another indica- indication of a club that uh, has has done its best to to. Uh, utilize what's available to them. Uh, yeah, there has been distribution of money uh, from central funds. It has utilized the, the furlough scheme um, and, and so on. And uh, you know, it, it's wanting to invest uh, in into the community and so on. So yeah, f- fair play to, to Maidstone. Um, it's uh, it's 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 on the right side of the line as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not in keen of on football clubs trying to make lots of profit, but uh, a sensible break-even model uh, has a lot of merit because that means that you're not falling into that trap, as we've seen with with Chelsea, of being reliant on, on the owner. And uh, uh, I, I had some uh, I had an interesting text exchange with uh, with our very good friend Tracy Crouch over the weekend, and you know, and she's she said yeah, th- this this completely vindicates the approach that if you've got a loss-making business or loss-making industry and you're reliant on the owner, what happens if something happens to the owner? Yeah, and yeah. nobody could have foreseen what did happen in respect of Abramovich, but then you wouldn't have foreseen what would have happened to the likes of Tony G and some of the other people involved with football as well. If you become indebted to them, you become dependent upon them, and if their circumstances change, that can throw the, the whole future of the football club out of kilter. Funnily enough, your relationship with Tracy Crouch is mentioned in the upcoming interview. Uh, does, does, is it? It is, yeah. You had to leave, didn't you? But the, does the Baroness know that you're swapping racy text messages with Tracy Crouch? <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you slip into another room? He just say, I'm just taking the dog for a walk, darling. Get the other phone out and text Tracy. Um, it, Kieran, if... if <laughs> If if eighty percent of the football population are enjoying Chelsea's plight at the moment, which I'm afraid they are, I think that number for this last story goes up to ninety <laughs> goes up to ninety nine percent. And I, I never thought in my lifetime I could foresee any <laughs> circumstances, any circumstances, Kieran, in which I started any any phrase with the words John Terry's collection of non fungible tokens. <laughs> <laughs> It, it seems to me like Bob Mortimer is the person who should be should be reading out a phrase like John Terry's collection of non-fungible tokens. But it turns out that John Terry's collection of non-fungible tokens have plummeted in value by 90% over the past month. Um, is it just his collection of non-fungible tokens that have plummeted? Not that uh, we're, we're enjoying any man losing money, but it's 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 a strange. Is it just him? Did he Did he choose wrongly did he invest wrongly did he choose the wrong nfts well sadly i I don't think john terry will have lost very much at all the 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 mugs who bought his non-fungible tokens Ah. his his magic beans um will have lost out so so for those people not familiar with the issue what what is a non-fungible token uh yeah it's a bit like uh, if if you or i did a a, did a drawing or if uh, if you or i had a, a special photo uh, and and we 
we, we signed it. We, we authenticated it. And uh, the thing about NFTs is that, you know, and, and clubs do this. You know, if, if, if you, if, you know, you think about the, think, think about that nil-nil draw you've just had against Manchester City. Yeah. If you were able to get your goalkeeper's shirt and, and the club said, we're putting this up for auction, he's going to sign it, we'll get a certificate of authenticity that goes with it. That would be great, but the the pool of people who are likely to buy it are going to be you know relatively close to to you know to, you know those people that attended the match and, and yeah, so yeah, on. Um, the thing about a non fungible token is that because it is uh, it, because it is digital, you can sell that to to anybody on the planet, um, and, and therefore that increases the the the, the, you know, the potential number of buyers of these. Um, so uh, John, John Terry uh, had these the, this artwork done, uh, which he was prepared to effectively sign his name to, and you could bid for it, and people did buy it, um, and and then and then that's fine. You know, you know, I've 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 got some signed shirts. You, you've probably got some you know signed shirts. You've got mementos. You, you, you've interviewed Mohammed Ali and things like this. Yeah, you, know, you could. You, I'd imagine you've got loads of mementos from from your your career. In, in in the world of entertainment um and that has sentimental value it might have some financial value as well um but it's mainly sentimental you know the, you know, the, the shirts so I've, I've got a shirt signed by sir jeff Hurst. You know, am I, I'm, there's no way i'm going to give that away um yeah. as, as far as i'm concerned um and um and and that's that's great you know but what we're seeing with nfts is they are being marketed as investments yeah now you know, the vast majority of this stuff is is overpriced to begin with and that's what we've seen with, with John Terry's collection people have thought uh okay what 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 exactly have we we bought here it's it's a picture of a some animal you know signed off by John Terry <laughs> and it's been authenticated by people on the internet and go we 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 we've we've been mugged off yeah uh, and therefore, the market price of these has fallen, and, and that's also been the case of of uh, what's referred to as fan tokens uh, by, uh, by by too many clubs. Um, and, and sadly, it looks like the uh, the the Premier League is going to go down this route. Yeah, there is a story circulating that it's got not one but two potential uh, NFT products coming onto the market soon. Mm. Uh, with with a view to engaging with fans. Now, for engaging, it means uh, you know dropping your trousers and, and, and emptying out your pockets. Yeah. Why do you have to drop your trousers before you? Uh, never mind. That's you, well. That's that's. Sorry, that's, I'm going back to one of my <laughs> for, former industries there. Aren't I? Uh, it's always good. I noticed uh, in your many many media engagements last Thursday that the leading uh, expert in football finance in the UK didn't once use the expression "mugged off." <laughs> when, you were, when you were talking to the BBC and Channel 4. It would have been very entertaining if you'd suddenly turn around and say, well, Chelsea fans have been mugged off, haven't they? Um, <laughs> I didn't interview Muhammad Ali, but I have met Muhammad Ali in chat. Okay, sorry. I, I didn't interview this. And I, I, I don't have a signed goalkeeper show. I do have a signed Julian Speroni glove. Oh, but, very good. But, yeah, well, most of SE25 has a signed Julian Speroni. <laughs> Julian is the most generous man you'll ever meet in your life. So there's there's no one short of – what do they say? Scarcity drives the, the value up, isn't it? There's, there's no danger of that happening. Also, I have to say, I have mentioned this before, John Terry. Uh, despite his reputation, and some of it I believe is probably justified, he did an enormous kindness to my cousin 
when he was injured for a year and out of the game of football. He's, he spent a long time uh, chatting to him and talking him through uh, being out injured. So I'll always be grateful to John Terry for that, but not enough that I'm not laughing at the fact that his non-fungible tokens have plummeted in value by 90% over the past month. Now, Kieran, interview time. Um, I still find it hard to believe, Kieran, I'm, I'm so friendly with a Brighton fan sometimes. So imagine my delight when producer guy said he was throwing the chief executive of Millwall in, <laughs> into, the, <laughs> into the price of football bucket. Um, it turned out that Steve Kavanagh, chief executive of Millwall, was a very nice man and a very interesting man. Yeah. Uh, and we had a very good chat, and here it is. Steve, thank you very much for joining us uh, this morning. As I mentioned, it does feel a little bit odd, a Brighton fan, a Millwall fan and a Palace fan on a pod together, but I think it's a sign of the enlightened times that we live in. And you're only three points off the playoffs, Steve. Are you daring to dream? Uh, yeah, morning, gents. Um, are we daring to dream? We're enjoying ourselves and we're enjoying the championship. It's a fantastic league and competitive as ever. Um, and you always dare to dream. Well, that's what football's about, isn't it? Mm. Dreaming and having that chance. And are teams like you and Coventry and Luton proof that you can be competitive in that division without spending crazy money on fees and wages? Because you've refused to do that, haven't you? Yeah, I think it, it, it demonstrates that if you've got stability and financial stability behind you, I'll get my words out in a second, <laughs> um, then uh, it, it, you, you can create a platform to allow you to grow and develop. And that's what we've been doing in the five years in the Championship. And those guys have come in behind us and you know, they, they probably won't admit it, but they're following a similar model where they they. they grow year on year and then have a chance. Yeah, I will undoubtedly get words wrong in the course of this interview, don't <laughs> worry, Steve, partly because I'm a little bit fragile this morning. Nobody should celebrate a nil-nil draw against anybody as much as we celebrated last <laughs> night. Uh, Steve, tell us a little bit about life before Millwall and how you came to the club. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 for your for my sins, uh, I'm an accountant. Uh, <laughs> I trained with, I actually joined a company was called Stoy Hayward when I joined them back in the 1980s, uh, which is now BDO. Uh, so I was there for a long time, worked in the city for a little bit in a, uh, a, an internet startup when that was all the rave mm. at a turnover of a pound. And then went uh, after I left, they went bust. Um, and then I ended up at Charlton as finance director. Um, and that was 20 years ago now. So I, I spent a long time at Charlton, left there uh, in 2012 under a non-disclosure agreement, as most people do. Um, and then South End for four years, uh, learning how to uh, avoid paying anyone. Um, <laughs> and then Millwall, uh, thankfully, John Berylson came along and uh, I met with John and uh, I joined Millwall in 2016. And that, that year we got promoted in the playoffs and since then five years in the championship. So it's uh, 20 years in football, which is, is, is brilliant. Yeah, I want to come on to something that the owner of South End said about you later on, but I read an interview uh, recently, which it fascinated me because you said shortly after taking over the uh, Millwall, you said the football club is not one business but multiple businesses which shouldn't coexist. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I think if you look at a football club as one entity, um, then I think you miss what's really going on as a business person, as an accountant and a finance person. You've got the hospitality side, you've got ticketing, you've you've 
got the sponsorship side. You've then got the TV revenues. You've then got cost centres such as football, which and, and some of those have conflicting requirements because you, know, you need the income, obviously, to, to drive the football side, but the football side then sucks that income. And people running those other businesses can look at that and say, well, they're taking all of our money, but without the other one, they don't exist. So they, they, all, they all have to happily coexist together and you have to find ways of balancing those off. And, um, and then it comes together under this umbrella of a football club. And, and that, that, that makes it quite unique because you're not running an individual business. You're running five, six, seven, eight businesses. And do you ever find any conflict then between those different businesses at a club where, where one group will think that they're more important than the other, for example? Yeah, well, obviously the football side are, are more important than everything, aren't they? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, that, the, of course you, you see conflicts and you see the, the, the business side looking at the football side with jealousy because they get everything they need and, and the rest of the businesses have to beg, borrow and steal to get by. Um, but your job is to, to make them happily coexist and to bring them together and to, to all get behind the one objective, which is the success of the team. Um, because if the team do well, then obviously the other businesses are allowed to flourish and grow as well. Is it is it a lonely job being a CEO? Are you isolated from other clubs? Or are you in regular touch with with other CEOs to swap ideas and information or or gossip about Derby, for example? Do you, do you... <laughs> we don't def- definitely don't gossip. Um, <laughs> we, we we talk a lot um, because you you compete on the pitch, obviously, and there's a, there's a healthy rivalry there. But off the pitch, you share ideas and points because actually the vast majority of us all want the same thing. We all love football. We want football to survive and grow. We want the championship to flourish. And therefore, our, our needs are, are very, very similar. Um, but, of course, come match day, we shake hands, wish each other best of luck, say we don't really mean it, <laughs> um, and, then, and then hopefully win and shake their hands at the end and say, oh, sorry about that, and uh, and smile as you walk away. So, no, there's, there's, a, there's a good good relationship between the CEOs. It's been challenged in the last few years and the, the attitudes and um, the uh, work of certain clubs have managed to stress those relationships. Mm. Um, but there's a good hardcore of people that have been there a reasonable time, know what they're doing and, and work together. And actually, I, I think there's a, a good, bright future for the EFL. Trevor Birch is doing a, a good job in helping us restore that camaraderie between us all. Uh, but you, you, clubs like you must look at Derby and think, well, that's what can happen when when you don't cut your cloth accordingly, and, and that must make you more convinced that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, Derby's a it's, it's a very distressing situation, mm. um, and there are other clubs who've who've followed similar lines and thankfully managed not to go into administration. Um, and yet, sustainability of football and the, and the longevity of football is a key priority for all of us because. That's that's what we're in it for, right? It's, you know, it's, it's strange as well, Steve. Sometimes it seems that money can cause its own problems. We were talking about Everton the other day, and for for a decade under Bill Kenwright, when they didn't have much money, they they trundled along quite nicely. They they didn't have too much debt. They were competing in the Premier League, and suddenly they get a new owner with access to a lot of money, and that seems to bring its own problems somehow, which seems counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah, I think one of the one of the things you always when you look at football, you got these people that make a lot of money in business, and they they then they buy a football club, and they everything they understood and ran properly in a business, they tend to throw out the window, yeah. which is where it, the the management of clubs is really important, and CEOs who are finance people or good finance people, like we've got Mark Fairbrother here, who's who's, who's a great guy sitting behind me. Those people come to to the fore 
in making sure that sensible decisions are made at the business level. You, you mentioned your time at Southend. The owner of Southend United called you one of the toughest negotiators he'd ever met. I'm not, I'm not sure that's a compliment coming from him, but would you, <laughs> would you, would you agree with that? I, I think I'm harsh, but hard, but fair. Um, <laughs> the Millwall way, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. That 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 cold stare occasionally, and say, you know, <laughs> Uncle Uncle Kevin's around the corner. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry, I want to bring Kieran in on, on the back of this next question as well. But you mentioned your financial background. Do you, do you think it's more important for a CEO to have a financial background than to have a football background? Uh, yes, I do. Right. I think if if you get carried away by the football side of things and lose the perspective of at the end of the day it is a business, you have got to pay the wages. Then not having that that deep understanding of what is really important and sustain long term sustainability of the club. Uh, if you lose that and get too into the football, then bad things can happen. Kieran, I, I presume you'd agree with that, but it's interesting that Steve already has mentioned several times the idea of long-term sustainability of the club. It's something that Steve Parrish is, is also into, and I gather you, you would agree with that as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, to- totally. You get, you get the foundations right and everything else will follow. And, and Steve's exactly right. You know, so if Millwall, uh, you know, they're doing superbly uh, this season. If they don't get it, what they've not done is gambled the house, as, as we've seen in the case of other clubs. So, yeah, I'm, I'm entirely in agreement. But, but can you, I'll ask you both this, can you apply the same principles that you've learned in other businesses to football? Yes. You can't? Yeah. Okay. Why, 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 why couldn't you? Football, football is an unusual business. It isn't necessarily about the day-to-day profit and loss, but you have to have that in mind. It's an investment business and you have to invest to take it forward. But any investment business has to invest sensibly. Yeah. On on Price of Football, Steve, we prefer to use the word identity rather than brand. And Millwall are one of those clubs that certainly have a strong identity. But how difficult is it for the smaller London clubs to grow a bigger fan base when you're competing against huge teams just a few miles away. And I don't mean Palace in that, by the way. I hope you don't mean Charlton either. But, oh, uh, no, no, we can all laugh. <laughs> we, can, we can all laugh at Charlton. That's fine. <laughs> no, that's, that's unfair. I know a lot of Charlton fans. I've so do I. There, so, um, um, look, of course, it's difficult. And we have that identity, that unique identity, which at times can be challenging. But also, it's really appealing because people enjoy um, that live match day experience, and, as, and, and the, there's nothing better than the den when it's full, and the atmosphere that our fans create, and they're, they're, they're unbelievable in what they can create, and they're they're unbelievable people. The amount of money they give to charity, oh, yeah. you know, all 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 that all that side of things gets lost. So, is it challenging? Yes, but actually, compared to say an Arsenal where there's no atmosphere, I'd say it's fairly easy to to get fans who enjoy the atmosphere, and when they come along. A lot of a lot of people. I've brought a lot of people along who aren't necessarily Millwall fans, mm. and they leave saying that was brilliant. I love that, and and that that is what coming to the den on a match day is about. Well, it must be frustrating for you, and I, I say this as a Palace fan. And I, so I know football in South London, and I know what your club does in terms of community, in terms of young people. So it must be really frustrating when it's still the headlines are taken by a few. Idiots, but it, it's you know it seems strange to me. I've got a, a mate of mine, a very old mate, he's in his seventies now, proper Millwall fan, has been all his life. He's still a bit bemused by the fact that you're sponsored by a chocolate bar. 
He's, he's not he's, a chocolate bar. Oh, he's not a chocolate no, bar. No, he, he needs to look a bit. It's a chocolate drink. Oh, it's a chocolate Hus- drink. A big yeah. Hus- Husky actually is quite. It's almost a, a Red Bull esque uh, brand that's being created. They they sponsor a lot of clubs now. They sponsor. They're on the back of the, or they were on the back of the McLaren uh, F1 car. I think they still are. And it, and it's almost a brand like Red Bull that they're trying to create across the skiing empires mm. uh, and different sports as well. And um, Michael, who who runs. Uh, Husky is is a, is, a, is an amazing individual who's got a, a very unusual background, but it's brilliant for a football club to have a sponsor that isn't a betting industry. Oh, and, d- um, yeah, don't get started you know, on it that. Take, yeah. Takes us into a world where you know we 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 we're, we're given a bad rep on many things through potentially actually I think not through the the small minority of idiots through lazy journalism most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the work that the club does in the community, the fact that we've got a great sponsor that isn't a betting that that that's not it's not a good story, is it? It doesn't sell for papers, yeah. um, but actually, it's a story that is developing and growing, and hopefully, over time, the fantastic atmosphere and and what the club does will start to come to the fore. We talk a lot on this pod about the relationship between gambling and football. Can you see a time in, in a few years when gambling sponsorship is banned in the same way that alcohol and tobacco was? I think so. I think we've got to be careful that we don't pick out football and make it unique. And you know, horse racing without gambling would be dead. Yeah. So why why should football not have gambling? But at the same time, um, I think we need to to show a level of responsibility to our fans and to the younger audiences, and we need to redefine that relationship with gambling. Um, yes, it's important to us, but there's a, it, we're as important to them as they are to us. Yeah, see, I'm aware of my own hypocrisy here because I, I'm very, very disturbed by the level of gambling involved in football. But yeah, I'll be watching the Cheltenham Festival on TV today. I'll probably have a fiver on the race and worry about losing it. But so it's, it's strange. The one big question I want to ask you about sponsors, how much do Sellers Timber pay you? <laughs> to get such a problem is just the one thing that Palace fans all it just makes me laugh all these Millwall fans are standing above a sign saying Sellhurst I think we give it to them for free just to oh, piss you off <laughs> <laughs> you recently now the, the club it shows your ambition because you recently purchased a, a big area of land in Kent with and I, I quote from the Evening Standard here a view to build training facilities which be will be among the best in the country how is that progressing? How much will it cost and why is it so important? Yeah, uh, our, our training sites are split um, between Bromley and uh, Blackheath Rugby Club up on the A2. Um, we don't own them. We, re- we lease them. The club did own the training ground. and I think it was under Theo Pafitis that it was sold and leased back for mm. a financial reason many, many years ago. Um, so actually owning your own facility where you can bring all the academy and the first team together, bring the whole club together, you know, the, the, the den is, is your match day, it's, it's your, your, your outward uh, home, it's the iconic image of what the club is. But the training ground actually is your, your office Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, and that's vitally important. So we've identified that land, we're running through the plan and application now, hopefully that will be submitted uh, in the next couple of months, uh, with a view to hopefully getting a positive result before the end of the summer, and then we've got to start building it. Uh, and I've got to fund building it, which is going to be the, the the interesting part. But it is really important to the long term future of the club to 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 give us that identity and that 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 home that we can then also use in terms of recruiting players. Because as great as Bromley is, um, it's it's a load of old porter cabins that are poshed yeah. together, and quite frankly, it's a shithole. 
Um, not Bromley itself, by the way, before anyone from Bromley gets upset. But, so so we're, we're trying to really look forward and to build something which, along with the, the development that hopefully will happen around the den, that we can be really proud of and give this, this club that foundation to, to carry on growing. I, I, I say this as someone from Croydon, Steve. I think anybody from Bromley listening will go, yeah, that's a fair fair point. How will you fund it then? Because it's obviously going to cost you a lot of money. And, and also, will it enable will you upgrade your academy status as well? Presumably the academy will be based there too. Yeah, the academy's Cat 2 anyway. Um, so the facilities that we're planning are for Cat 2. But actually, you don't need any more facilities to get to Cat 1. So the, the aspiration to get to Cat 1 one, one, one day is possible, um, but we would, we'd stay at Cat 2 for the moment. The categorizations and EPPP is an area that is really important uh, at the moment to football and is changing, um, and the funding around that, because if, if you clubs lose young players to Cat 1 clubs, and if that keeps going on, you either shut the academy or you all go to yeah. Cat 1, which would be crazy. Um, so you know, it, 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 it will deliver that, togetherness which is more important especially for some some you know a club like Millwall actually that togetherness is what gets us through most things so is it a problem for you that Palace have just gone to category one then does it make it harder for you to compete for youngsters in that area I don't think it makes it harder to compete for them but but the cat one clubs can walk all over you in terms of their financial compensation when you start losing them at the ages of 13 14 15 and that loss of those good players that you've developed is a real challenge because at some point the board will turn around and say, why are we investing £2 million a year in this academy? Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to be careful that in football we don't allow we, – we, we've got to keep the pyramid structure in the, in, in the academy structure as well as in the, the, the first teams and make sure that structure flows properly and the finances flow properly. And, and what about funding? Is, is there any other way of funding it other than loans? Uh, there's a variety of ways um, which we're exploring. So loans, loans is one possible one. You know, looking at the structure of the business and how we invest in the business is another. Um, so we're, we're exploring those options now. It's not an area where we're overly concerned, but it is, isn't going to be cheap. Obviously, building uh, on what is currently a wheat field, uh, building right. a, a yeah. top-end academy is going to be expensive. Yeah. And finally, Steve, two questions we have to ask, or Kieran gets sulky. Um, he's a big fan of Tracy Crouch. I mean, a big fan. It's, it's literally <laughs> Kieran and Tracy sitting in a tea, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. So I'd, so I'd like to ask you your view of her fan-led reports. You're, you're ahead of her in some aspects because, you, for example, you've got a fan member on the board, for example, haven't you? Yeah, we've had a fan member on the board. What Tracy's moving to and looking at is a shadow board, and actually we're exploring that now because it gives a greater, oh, wow. greater depth to how you – fan bases don't all sit in one – supporters club together do they 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 tend to be spread out so we're exploring currently now how we form a supporters uh, a shadow board in line with tracy's report to give that that greater um communication with the fans as as hopefully you're aware we write we commit to writing from myself to the fans at least every two months Mm. and we've been doing that for over a year now and that's important and then having that shadow board and that engagement and communication is is critical not just for the fans but for the club as well because when there are issues you want to be dealt with you want to be able to go and talk to the to people and get to everyone you don't want to just get to you don't have to go and talk to 10 people so from the fan engagement perspective what tracy says absolutely support it and we're Mm. working on how we can 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 tick those boxes 
but actually really deliver on that rather than just being a, a box ticking exercise mm. from a from a redistribution and regulation perspective um i i'm i'm all for it you you we we've we've doubled our wage bill since we got into the championship it, mm. it, it increases dramatically the costs of running a football club we need redistribution but redistribution can't come unless it's hand in hand with regulation and if you bring redistribution and regulation together that says you can't lose more than well you can't lose money because like gary sweet says you know it's, it's crazy in the championship you lose 13 million and you get a pat on the back and tell what a good boy <laughs> and he's absolutely spot on yeah. so if if you got to a scenario we're saying you can't lose more than a million pound but actually, we've given you redistribution so that when the money goes into the top end, it doesn't just get blown out the bottom end. I'm all for that. Mm. And, um, ha- how that's regulated uh, to be seen. And, and unfortunately, I think when, when you look at Chelsea at the moment, the government have probably shown they, they don't fully understand football. But I think there's probably a, a halfway house that's fair to everyone. I, I don't think anyone understands the government's attitude to Chelsea. This idea that whoever buys Chelsea's got to sit down with somebody from our government and negotiate a price and then decide where the money's going is slightly ludicrous, but that's for a different pod. Yeah. Um, I, I love the, the shadow board thing. It's such a good idea. It comes back to something you were talking about earlier. When I'm, when I'm in the pub before the game last night at the Porson's Arms, I'm talking to builders, cabbies, accountants, lawyers. There's a judge. There's all sort. There's people from all walks of life and people outside football – don't understand that. They seem to, they, like you say, lazy journalism. They have this stereotype of football fans and the idea yep. of a shadow board to those people would be preposterous. But no one knows more about football and about a club and its history than the fans. So it's important to have them involved, isn't it? It is. And, and look, there are certain things to be off the uh, off the agenda when you have those conversations. You shouldn't be talking about what player you can or can't buy. Yeah, you cool. should be talking about the relationship between the club and the fans and how you develop that and grow that for a mutual benefit and it, and that's what it should be about and if you see it as mutual benefit then why why wouldn't a club embrace that why would you want to dis this you know disenfranchise the very people that pay pay the wages yeah i suppose also the other problem is you don't want to be sitting in a board meeting saying to the fans can we stop talking about harry cripps now well the, the the fan on the board scenario is always a difficult one isn't it yeah. because they go in a board meeting they've got fiduciary duties they walk out and everyone in the pub says oh, what, what do they say tell me about this and says yeah. oh i'm not allowed to say anything because i'm a director <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so so the shadow board actually gets around that and you can have a much more engaging conversation and and clearly define what you want to talk about and i think it's a great idea if the final question, and I've got a feeling I can predict what your answer may be on this, but the highest of Kieran's many high horses is is parachute payments. What's your view on parachute payments? Redistribution needs to happen. The, the, the relationship between the Championship and the Premier League is now completely distorted. Oh. I mean, the, the Premier League, you know, centrally you get, before you've even sold a single bean, you get 100 million. In the championship, you get 7.5 million. That dish, that relationship between the two is distorted now beyond all, all reasonable levels. And parachute monies just pile on top of that. And I was talking to uh, a, a someone, a, a, an ex-player yesterday who's a, who's a presenter. Um, sorry, that's my emails flying in. I was, talking to a, I was talking to a, uh, a, a presenter yesterday and, and he, I think he nailed it. You didn't used to get the scenario where the clubs that came down went straight back up. Yeah, yeah. In the last few years, that yeah. has changed. As that financial gap's got bigger, um, more and more are going back up and then COVID has come along and COVID has handcuffed the championship clubs and their, their levels of investment and actually it's widened that gap even more. Um, you know, I know you guys talk about it 
um, that you know we've paid the HMRC our COVID losses. We're paying them off through this loan. We've got another two years of three million pound a year. That that's a big big hamstring to us. So you've seen a real change, and you're seeing more and more clubs relegated going straight back up, and that's not good for football. And parachutes come into that. We need to level that line between the two leagues. Getting promoted shouldn't be the be-all and end-all to the extent that people are gambling the futures of clubs because that's wrong for fans. But being promoted obviously should be financially good. But then if you come down also, it shouldn't be the end of the world. You shouldn't be falling off a cliff face and need a parachute. If it's a slope, you don't need a parachute. And then actually we can create a better pyramid in football that is is better for all the fans. Yeah, Steve, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I I suppose... Normally, I end these interviews by wishing you luck, but I'm not entirely sure I can do that. <laughs> uh, but, but obviously, it would be uh, it would be great to have you all back in the Premier League. Uh, I, I remember that's the, the two seasons you were in Division One, wasn't it? Which was it two seasons when you were you really shook the place up? So it'd be great to have another a London club back in the Premier League. Uh, and I wish you all the best for the future, Steve. Thank you for talking to us. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kieran. It's interesting, Kiri, you, you had to go because you, you had to teach, which I believe is what you do when you're not on telly. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, because so, normally it's you who does, you're the, you're the more sociable one of the two of us. It's normally it's you at the end of the interview. I, I make an excuse, uh, normally involving the cat, and disappear while you while you chat to people <laughs> as it has a thing uploads. But uh, we, we chatted, and unfortunately I wish I had the gumption to asking this question during the actual interview afterwards. But he spoke very interestingly about marketing the championship as Premier League 2. Because mm. uh, he said, in effect, that's what it is. And he said it's it's arguably a better product, for want of a better word, than the actual Premier League. And also that it would go a long way to stopping the desperation of championship teams uh, spending so much money. And it was, it was very interesting in the main body of the interview to hear him talk about the fact that it is perfectly possible despite what people seem to think it's perfectly possible to compete in the championship with a sensible budget with sensible wages and paying sensible money for players yeah well we've got Coventry Luton Millwall yeah, yeah, yeah we've yeah. got clubs doing it Blackburn um yeah Huddersfield are on yeah they've got they've got a low budget and and yeah, what Steve said echo, echoed. You know, with Keith Winers on, who was it two or three weeks ago, and he said exactly the same thing. You know, that there, it it is a, a cracking league, and uh, you know, whilst you know, be careful what you wish for. If if my team got relegated, then instead of you know looking forward, are we going to win ten games this season? You're hoping they can win twenty, yeah, because it's you know, a, a there's more matches, and and b you feel that your natural position is going to be towards the top half of the table rather than looking at looking over your shoulder for six months of the year yeah it may not be what you wish for Kieran but you know obviously yeah he was very interesting as well about parachute payments and how they they skewer everything as well um there was one moment though when it reminded me of another resident of Bermondsey your uncle Terry uh, (laughs) when I asked Steve about the funding building the new training ground as I I said I presume it'll be loans he went well you know loans loans is one way (laughs) <laughs> there are other ways right okay i won't delve into that um and talking of loans if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod please go to patreon.com slash price of football and we would be very grateful to you that's lovely the pod will always be free to air and if you have a question you'd like answered on the show email us at questions at price of football.com and in the meantime i shall hand you over to mr kira mcguire for his customary farewell well uh thanks as always folks um, I, i've contacted producer guy i think there's 
there is a there is literally a handful of tickets available for Price of Football Live on the uh, on Thursday, the twenty fourth of uh, March. Um, now, for those of you going there, um, and, and Kevin, you you've already been there. It, it's not the easiest place to find. Is that is that right? Uh, it's it's not. You can't spot it from the, if you're looking for floodlights. You won't see any. It's 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 opposite Quick Fit, but uh, it's not immediately noticeable from outside it's not far from Tooting broadway but yeah you do need to check where it is and the main entrance is sort of around the corner so uh probably best to google map it before you go if you're not if you don't know the area yeah great so uh yeah if you can support us via patreon there's there's various other ways you can do it you just just engage with us on social media we're 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 bored and lonely old men. We're quite, we, we, norm, we normally reply. Yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not letting this go to our heads, I can assure you, and rightly so. Um, but uh, another way you can do that is, 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 to, go to, your, uh, is to go to your podcast app, you know, Apple, Spotify, Google Apps, whatever it wants, to, and, uh, and if you leave us a review for, for reasons beyond our knowledge or, or let, let, let's be honest, beyond our caring um <laughs> it, it, it does help us in the charts uh, according to producer guy um and, and that helps to drive interest from from sponsors and gives us a bit more credibility when we go uh fancy coming on our podcast mate and they'll go who the hell are you uh, you know so people tend to look you up um so if you could give us a review if you could give us five stars that that would be grand it doesn't matter what you write you could say uh, you could say you'd rather have the show presented by julian spironi and lisa stansfield and <laughs> that 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 would be a must listen i think for both of us <laughs> well I'd, I'd have to be at that one uh, <laughs> right if only if only to watch julian's face as he tries to interpret what lisa stansfield is is saying in her in her wonderful rochdale accent you're not you're not bored kieran you're you're going to the undertones next week you'll be texting tracy crouch from the train on the way to the undertones <laughs> don't uh, tell the baron that's not <laughs> or baroness even <laughs> oh there's a baron in the process now is there? No, i'm looking forward to the live show i'll ask you about the baron bye everybody bye I'm for the